everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. A Luka Doncic Woj Pod with a all-star cast, starting with Tim McMahon, ESPN's NBA writer, Luka Doncic beat writer. At this point, Jonathan Gavoni, our draft analyst, and Mike Procopio making his Woj Pod debut, worked for six years in Dallas's organization, director of player development. Prior to that was the Kobe Bryant's self-proclaimed Swiss Army Knife. Worked with Kobe. Mike worked with the Boston Celtics, Maine Red Claws. And now the basketball brand ambassador with BSN Sports. Guys, welcome in. I tell you what, Luca wishes he had this good of a supporting cast in Dallas. Well, you're yeah. you're a lucky man to have all these just stars around you. Yeah, well, we'll start with you, McMahon. The the Luca phenomenon, uh he was outstanding last year. He was the rookie of the year last year and now, you know, averaging essentially 30 points a game, almost nine and a half assists, uh, ten and a half rebounds. The only player in the league right now to rank in the top five of those three categories and the only player in the top 15 of all three categories. And you can go down the line. He's got twice as many triple-doubles as any player has ever produced before the age of 21. Doncic has 14. And then next on that list, Magic Johnson with seven. LeBron James with five. Uh, Tim, what has it been like watching him night in and night out this season? Yeah, and he does it, and it's so fun to watch. And he's obviously energized the Mavericks franchise that, you know, really since the championship, it was kind of, I mean, they hired Procopio and things went downhill for him. Uh, you know, they hired him and, and, and Dirk just, I mean, aged rapidly. But no, seriously, they go from kind of not having much direction in the franchise other than Dirk's farewell years uh, to, you know, boom, they had this kid. And last year, you know, he had arguably the best season by a teenager in NBA history and then just made a huge leap uh, over the summer, got in shape, which was a huge with him, uh, and, and came back. And he, he's legitimately uh, an all-NBA caliber player, a, an early MVP candidate. And, you know, he, he does it in a way that, is is a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of joy um, just in the way he plays. And the, this crazy production, I thought Rick Carlisle put it pretty well the other night. It, it's starting to feel pretty normal. Like a 30-point triple-double is just kind of what this guy does. And, you know, as, as J.J. Barea told me, it, it's, it, it feels like it's it's not hard for him. Like it's coming pretty easy. He's not hunting numbers so much. He's not you know, really straining to make plays, it's coming in the flow of things. And for a 20-year-old kid, it's really ridiculous. No, it's it's been remarkable. And, you know, Jonathan, you and Mike Schmitz scouted Doncic a great deal. He has been a known commodity in Europe for years. He didn't sneak up on anybody. This was a, a prodigy uh, whose development and production in the Spanish ACB League uh, playing in you know, FIBA World Cup events where he was dominant as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old. Um, his production was unlike any other player 
that we've seen at that age in Europe. And to your credit, Mike Schmidt's credit, you guys, the the entire time when there was skepticism by some still in the NBA, you guys said this isn't going to be an all-star, this is going to be an all-NBA player. What he's doing there is going to translate to the NBA. Um, but yet there was skepticism. There were three NBA teams essentially who passed on him. Atlanta did the, made the trade with, for Trey Young on draft night um, for Doncic with, with Dallas. Um, Jonathan, when you think back to how he was evaluated, what teams were saying about him, why didn't why didn't everyone accept that what they were seeing in Europe was going to translate the way it has in the NBA? I think NBA scouts, talent evaluators, they put players in boxes and they want to project who is this guy going to be in the NBA? You know, that's that's kind of the way that when players go to games, they say, well, who is he? And Luka Doncic is unlike any player we've ever seen in NBA history. And I think those are the hardest guys to forecast. You know, the Giannis's, the guys that we've just never seen. And so I think that part of it had to do with the fact that, you know, he's European and there's an inherent bias against international players. They don't get the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, it's so much easier to go watch games in the ACC and the SEC. And um, I also think that he struggled at the worst possible time for him. Um, you know, if you look at January 1 to May 1 of his draft year, he 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 fell off a little bit. He, had, he was shooting around 29, 30% for three. Um, he was like a 50% two-point shooter. Um, you know, he was carrying an unbelievable load. And, you know, we were writing at the time, Luca looks tired to us. You know, he's played 18 straight months of basketball. He's worn down. And he also, you know, people were questioning his eating habits, um, you know, some of his nightlife activities. And they just wondered how it's going to translate because he was struggling to get by guys um, in the, the EuroLeague playoffs, especially the first three games of the EuroLeague playoffs when he played Panathinaikos. I think he shot like five for 20 from the field in those three games. And every person in the NBA was there, all the main decision makers, all the GMs. It was that series happened at a, just like a perfect time. I think it was in early April where there was almost nothing going on. And so... People saw that. They saw James Gist locking him up, and they just said, "This guy's going to have a hard time in the NBA. He's going to—is he going to be able to get by people? You know, is this—you know—he relies so much on tough shots. It was ugly at times, and you know, Luca said it last year, and then he kind of walked it back. He said, "It's easier to score in the NBA than it is in the Euroleague," and that's not a popular thing to say, but I think he's right because they, the way they pack—you know—they pack things in, and the, you know, just the level of intensity. Um, of every game in the Euroleague, and he's also gotten a lot better. He's he's worked on his body, and, you know, so, I mean, I always had him number one on my board, and I was very vocal saying it, and, you know, we kind of scolded some of the front offices even, you know, the night after the, the lottery saying, how does Sacramento already have written this guy off? You know, like Phoenix and Sacramento, they were basically told people on the night of lottery, you know, we're taking Aiton, we're taking Bagley, and so it was kind of set in stone, and I think, you know, 
you know, Vlade Divac, that's the one that surprises me the most because Luka's dad is Serbian, Sasha Dancic. Luka speaks Serbian, you know? I mean, for a Serbian to pass on who a guy that's Slovenian, but you could say he's, you know, he's half Serbian. Mm-hmm. That's the one that, that just shocks me. And they were just adamant about the fact that he's not as good as we were. You know, I mean, he's he he's just another guy. And so um, that's going to haunt them for a long time. Uh, Mike, you were in Dallas last year when Doncic walks in the door, comes to Summer League. He didn't play in Summer League mm-hmm. um, and then s- starts working out in the preseason and, uh, and into uh, training camp. What did you see? body-wise, skill-wise, when he walks into the Mavericks? Well, body-wise, obviously, his physicality of being, you know, that big, long-armed, he had a good sort of base to start from. Um, He's a little heavier than you you would expect, you know, from watching him on TV and then you see him. He wasn't, like, overly heavy, but he was heavier. And you knew, like, when you develop players and you evaluate players, you got to have... I think evaluation and player development goes hand in hand. So when you have a guy like that come in, we had a guy named Casey Smith and Jeremy Holsapel who runs our strength and conditioning and our sort of our medical um, in Dallas. And I knew that the body was going to change. Like you got to, we're going to have an NBA strength program. He's going to be fine with that. We had Peter Patton that was hired in the fall, who's our who's our shooting coach, who's does a great job building shots. So. I knew Luca was, you know, had a good fundamental shooting. He, you knew he knew how to play, but he was just shooting on a basket because he wasn't cleared to play yet. So he would work out um, before tra- before summer league, and you, know, you knew he was pretty good, but he he couldn't play, so he wasn't cleared. But you know, then you know, summer league comes, he didn't play, and then he comes back to us in the fall, and you knew from watching the kid play for ten seconds that he's a top five passer in the NBA. Vision-wise, he just saw plays like Dorian Finney-Smith and Dwight Powell and you know Maxi Kleber. They were getting so many easy looks because this guy had great vision. He's not a guy who just gets assists. He makes easy plays for everybody. And you knew it's going to take time. When you, when you develop a player and you get him, especially at that age, you know, you know, you hear things about the body and the diet, but that's going to get better. He's never, you know, he dominated at doing what he did you know, with that type of body for so long. You know, in the NBA, is definitely going to be a, a sort of a change, and he just has to feel it out. He's one of the best thinkers that I've ever seen besides, you know, I was with Rondo for a while, and he's got that basketball IQ of a Rajon where he sees things three steps ahead. And you knew he just had to figure it out and, and, and just sort of develop from there. It, Dallas's draft record over the last decade had been an abysmal. I mean, it just it just is. I mean, Tim, you're like, it had been abysmal. But the one thing about the Mavericks that they aren't afraid of and that they've been conditioned to accept and believe and embrace, because Dirk Nowitzki had been their franchise player for so long, had played at an all-NBA level, uh, an MVP level, and won a championship and, and uh, separated himself, you know, the... I don't want to say easily, but certainly the greatest European player in, in NBA history uh, in terms of total accomplishment, that they were, the idea of Doncic, um, they were intrigued by, and it was a player who they targeted, and they had to go up and do, uh, you know, do the draft night deal with Atlanta to be able to get to him. Atlanta wanted Trey Young. They were 
Travis Schlenk was really sold on Trey Young, and he was right about Trey. Trey's going to be an all-star. He's outstanding. But Dallas wanted him, and I think the thing is, Mike and, and Tim, in so many ways, Doncic saved that organization because as they started to overpay for free agents, when you don't draft and develop your own players, you overpay for a Chandler Parsons, you go out and you know you overpay for a Wes Matthews, and you can't build a contender paying max money for players who aren't all-stars or who aren't elite. And those were good players, uh, but not great ones. And you end up overpaying. Uh, you you max out a Harrison Barnes on a sign-and-trade when you can't develop your own. And Luka, one player finally after a decade of bad drafting, um, it completely transcends your organization and it uh, you know kind of gives you the runway to go do the Porzingis deal. And now, right, Tim, Dallas has, um, you know, in one, really on one draft night, changed the trajectory of, of that organization, which w- had been wandering for a few years as Dirk was bowing out. Yeah, I mean, the, the franchise had no direction other than, okay, Dirk's farewell, and boy, it could be bleak for a while after that. I mean, they were they were building around, you know, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. when he was their first lottery pick in a while because they were in the worst spot possible, which NBA purgatory of cracking the playoffs but not being a threat to do anything once you get there. Uh, ended up with, you know, early post-lottery picks that don't pan out, so on and so forth. Get Dennis Smith Jr., you know, by all-star break of his rookie year, Rick was out on him. Uh, you know, pro, you, you, you had an up-close view of all that. Um, and then Luca, to Donnie Nelson's credit, he was convinced early and consistently that Luca was by far the best player in that draft class. Donnie will be the first to tell you he did not think he was going to be this dominant this soon. But they saw what they saw early last year and stripped that thing down, basically saying, hey, forget anything we were trying to do. This is going to be all about building around Luca." now and they hope for the next 15 years yeah being around donnie um for the six years that i was i saw him excited about two players in the draft like really excited in two drafts Giannis, obviously i mean he came in saying this guy could be the next dr j i I got i got all my chips in he thought he was like matt damon on rounders right he just was all in on him he's like this is it we got this guy this is who i want now, obviously, we were going after Dwight Howard, and we had to trade down spots to get money. And had to save that four hundred grand in cap space. Yeah, <laughs> three ninety nine after my paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then come draft day with with Luca, trying to do anything in his power to get it. Like he gets that look in his eye on draft night. Some nights where you know, some nights, hey, we'll draft whoever that's the best player that we can get. But with those two guys, you saw it in his eyes that, like, these guys could be difference makers. And he was all in on Luka. I don't, I don't think anybody, you know, besides the guy to my left here, thought that he was going to be this good this fast. Usually when you draft a player, even in the lottery, you're thinking, okay, starter, maybe third year, he'll make his push to be, you know, you know all-star contention. Now you're talking about a guy who's MVP candidate in two years. It's a different it's a different animal, but I got to give it to Donnie. When he's in on a guy, he's he's locked in. Like you know, working for Danny Ainge the same way. When he's locked in on a guy that he he needs to get, he they'll do anything possible to get the guy. 
And, and Pro, it's interesting you mentioned the Giannis thing because that was the when they their playoff streak had ended. They had it was the thirteenth pick in the draft. Obviously, Giannis is this huge mystery. You know, people really hadn't seen him. The medicals were a major question mark. Blah blah blah. And Donnie's pounding the table saying, this guy is going to be the best player in the draft. Mm-hmm. They trade down twice, save some money, end up with, uh, with Shane Larkin, who, who's about pro's height. And then, um, you know, obviously that doesn't work out. I, I do think though that Donnie being that strong on that, being that right about it and being that painful to watch Giannis develop into this MVP when you knew you could have had him, that gave Donnie I, I think it kind of restored his credibility of, of saying, look, if Donnie's pounding the table, especially on an international prospect, we need to listen. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but sometimes with teams, though, you know, they had a plan. The plan was to get Dwight Howard that summer. And, you know, it's tough. Sometimes you, you try to swing for the fences on a guy that you believe in. Even, you know, everything in the draft is like pointing towards we need to get this guy. But if that's your plan... And, you know, organizations that are very good in this league follow through with their plan regardless. And they tried to do it. Sometimes it does. It works. Sometimes it doesn't. But it was it was pretty remarkable to watch a guy that I didn't like in the draft. You know, <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't think that Giannis was going to have this type of impact. But Donnie was right in on it. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. Jonathan, the, the walk up around the draft with Doncic, Trey Young, uh, Jaron Jackson, who ends up going to Memphis. Uh, it, it was an interesting process. Bill Duffy, who is Doncic's agent, um, was not enthusiastic about Memphis at number four. They weren't going to get uh, anything medical-wise. There was always the threat of, hey, he could just go back to Spain for another year, which you know is a card you can play. I don't know if, if anyone took it seriously, but Memphis ended up uh, they finally got to talk to Jaron Jackson and got his medical like maybe the eve of the draft in the last in the days couple of days before. Um, that was at a time when Memphis, who I think with Zach Kleiman and and uh, Taylor Jenkins, they they've set a direction there and they've done a really good job the last year of of once they got past the Conley Gasol era, those trades, what they got back, and now obviously John Morant. Uh, and Jackson, they've got a core and, and a direction again as an organization. Um, but it, it was and an Brandon it, Clark and and Brandon Clark. They really they remade that. It's not a Memphis conversation, but Memphis has done a really good job of 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 reshaping that organization and, and, and giving it again some direction. But that draft night was interesting because there were teams trying. There were some teams trying to get up to Memphis at number four um, for whether it was Doncic and. Jaron Jackson. I knew some teams that just didn't have enough to get up that far. Um, and then Trey Young, there was some, you know, differing opinions about Trey. Some people really loved him, wanted him. Atlanta did. Orlando was very high on Trey. They needed a point guard. And, you know, for Dallas, it played out, you know, getting that deal done. Uh, it was pretty dramatic for them that evening. Yeah, I remember the lead up to that draft really well. There was a lot of drama about what was getting out, and you pretty much knew what all those teams in the top four were thinking. Memphis was going to take Luka Doncic at four if, you know, for whatever reason, Atlanta took Jaron Jackson. There's a lot of talk that Travis really liked Jaron Jackson. He was also really high on on Trey Young, clearly. Um, 
you know, people were wondering what does the ownership group there think? Um, you know, they were having a, a pretty major hand too, and there was a you know a thought that. Luka Doncic was the guy that was going to sell tickets, and so maybe he's the one that we need to take. And I think the compromise between you know Jaron Jackson and Luka ended up being Trey Young, which looks like it's it's going to work out for Atlanta. I mean, he's he's going to be an All Star, and his career is off to a great start. Um, you know, so uh, Phoenix and Sacramento they decided very early on um, Luka's not the guy for us. Um, Phoenix, you know, honed in on Aiton really really early. Um, same with Bagley in Sacramento. I just remember, you know, being at the NBA Combine, the which happened for the first time right after the NBA Draft Lottery, getting on a plane to Belgrade to watch Luca in the EuroLeague Final Four, and just looking around the gym and seeing who's here and who isn't. And the people that were there were Dallas, Donnie Nelson, Tony Ronzoni. Um, the day in between the games, I distinctly remember there was a party on a riverboat beautiful thing in Belgrade um, hosted by Mishko Reznatovic and um, Donnie and and Tony were there and they were saying what do you think and we we're just saying I was just saying dude you got to do everything you can to get Luca and Donnie was like yeah I know <laughs> I'm working on it you know so yeah it's um it's crazy how how it, it all worked out and you know I mean they they got their guy and um, you know Donnie deserves a ton of credit I think Tony Ranzoni too I mean he's one of the the godfathers of international scouting and um, he never had any doubt about Luca and you know it's it's great to see when you hone in on a guy and you believe in him and you do what you, it's not there was no luck there because sometimes a guy just falls into your lap and you take him because that's who everybody thinks you should take but they actually had to go get him and that trade you know, like that almost fell apart. And I remember yeah. us sitting, you know, um, at the draft um, in the ESPN green room and um, it was on the table and then it wasn't. And there was a lot of back and forth there. And so it's just crazy, you know, how the trajectory of NBA history changes based on, you know, one or two phone conversations. You know, and it's also crazy where you've got the Suns and the Kings who uh, obviously, those two guys are both out now, eight and suspended and, and baggy hurt, but those are, those guys will probably be 20 and 10 guys for a decade or so. And they are, <laughs> it's, they absolutely screwed the draft up despite getting what will be really productive players. And despite having close ties to Luca, the, the Suns had Luca's Slovenian head coach that they just hired as their head coach in Igor. And I always just call him Igor because I screw up his last name all the time. Kokoskov. There you go. Yeah. You're, who, you're who, by better. the way, is now, I saw him yesterday over at, uh, they're in New York playing the uh, Knicks. Yeah. And I saw Igor over with the Kings. He's now on the Kings staff, ironically. But yeah, and, and Igor obviously knew what Luka was. But, you know, a rookie head coach just hired by Robert Sarver, I think he was informed really quickly that he had absolutely no say and what that pick was going to be, that Robert Sarver was going to go with his fellow University of Arizona alum, mm-hmm. uh, DeAndre Ayton. And then, you know, Vlade, as close as he was to Luca, my understanding is, and, and, you know, Jonathan, you just said they were honed in on Bagley, uh, by at least March, if not earlier than that. And my understanding is that him being so close to Luca and knowing his dad so well, factored into their decision basically he didn't think a whole lot of luca's dad and the old like father like son well i don't know this is a different dude you messed that one up vlade 
having Dirk there, uh, as Dirk is on his farewell tour saying goodbye with the Mavericks, how helpful, was it overstated how helpful that was to Luca, or was there some comfort level to have him around to help introduce him to the league? I think it was great to have Dirk there for, for Luca to sort of bounce things off of. You know, Dirk's the kind of guy that's just cool with everybody, and he's going to give you, you know, his opinion if you ask for it. He's not overly vocal, you know, but if you need something, you know, he'll definitely be there for him. And having somebody that's a legend in that town and knowing that that longevity of staying in one team and how a city loves you, I think it was it was great to have. But I think the the number one guy for Luca throughout the year and this year as well, even though I'm not there, is JJ Barea. You know, mm-hmm. JJ's same position. Um, JJ's sort of a seasoned pro. He, you know, he he had to work for everything he had. He wasn't this great player right off the bat. He, he had to work for it. I think it's good to have a guy like that to instill habits in a young kid. You know, Dirk always had those habits, but Dirk was a franchise Hall of Famer. It's a little bit different when J.J. had to work for everything he had, and, and so did Dirk, obviously, but he had to work even extra with, you know, obviously the height and, you know, coming from a small school, and and I think that was great for Luca to have J.J. every day in his corner, talking to him, you know, busting his chops, going out with him, just sort of, you know, it was. It, I think it was great to have those two guys, but having a superstar like Dirk and Again, seeing how a city just revered the guy and the organization and carrying on his back for so long, I think it's always good to have that guy in, in your corner to, to be able to bounce things off of. What, what, yeah, but like like you said, Pro, Dirk's not a guy who's going to say, hey, you're under my wing. You know, he, He's going to help you out as much as you want, but Dirk kind of joked about, hey, Luke has got it all figured out. He doesn't listen to me. And they kind of had a joking relationship. And I'm sure Luca learned a lot of things just – Watching, I was hoping he would learn from Dirk how to handle, how to deal with the media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that hasn't quite panned out quite yet. No. Um, but with JJ, what JJ is, is, other than Jason Kidd, the one point guard that has had a really positive, strong working relationship with Rick Carlisle. And in a lot of cases last year, I think when, especially when there was some friction and, and Rick hadn't quite chilled the bleep out yet. Uh, JJ could kind of act as the middleman. Hey, Rick is saying this. Here's really what he means. Or, or you know, kind of be the, the eyes, the ears, and the, the gentler message, uh, for Rick Carlisle and, and kind of serve as, as an extension of the coaching staff and help Luca along in that regard while being a voice that Luca wants to hear and a familiar voice because they speak to each other in Spanish. Yeah, that was, that was a thing for us in the development of Luca. Like, you know, Rick, the, the players that he's dealt with rookie-wise were guys that were role players for the most part, especially the way Dallas, where Dallas was drafting mostly. And, you know, obviously the, the, the calendar of development of role players is a little bit different. You have more control. It's about 85% of the NBA players that come in the league and are in the league. Their first couple of years, you have to control almost everything that they do to just to sort of get them in the fast lane of becoming an NBA asset. With a guy like Luca, it was different. And... I thought it was important to, you know, there were so many people that were going to pull at him to work with him on different things. The number one thing that I thought that just I wanted to do is sort of navigate him through as far as, you know, translate what Rick's saying and and saying where's Rick's coming from with some of the things he would say. And, you know, Rick did the best he could because that's what he knew how to coach. He knows how to manage the game. He's really bright. He's really intelligent as a head coach. And I think that, 
never having a young player that he had to give this much leeway to so early. And sometimes that's frustrating. And, and you got to see it from both sides. And that's one thing I wanted to do. And I think I did a, a, a pretty good job of it. JJ did a great job of it. And just sort of saying, and, and Don Coxstein, who's probably one of the top three or four assets in that organization, uh, the sports psychologist, as far as talking to him. And we met with him constantly just to talk. And just so so he has somewhere to sort of vent to or just talk to just to sort of continue to meet and get them on the same page. And they were on the same page. It's just they're sort of coming from different places. you got a, an established head coach that won an NBA championship that's been in the NBA forever. And you have a, you have a kid that's going to sort of take the league by storm that's dominated all the way up to this point. I don't think there's a player that entered an NBA team day one that had a resume and played in so many big games that Luca did so like having to talk to him about the NBA as far as how it works and um, just sort of navigating him through that because you knew he was going to get it on the court for sure and just trying to get those two guys sort of saying hey look Rick wants the best for you and then coach you know Luca just needs time and he you know he's going to get it because of the fact of how smart he is and how much of a competitor he is so I think navigating him through that's important and having a guy like JJ you know, when I was in Boston with the Celtics, we had Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker. You know, Paul was obviously the best player, but he was like Dirk. He did it by example. He worked his ass off every day. He was prepared, but he, he would never really take a guy under his wing at that point of his career yet. And then Antoine Walker was more of the vocal guy. And, you know, JJ to me was like that Antoine. He, he was the vocal guy. He was the guy that's going to reach out where Dirk would do it if you reach out to him. So I think it was a, he had, he had, Definitely good people to talk to, you know, throughout the year until he got it. And obviously it took that one year to figure it out, and now he's taking it. The Luka Doncic edition of the Woj Pod here with uh, ESPN's Tim McMahon, Mike Procopio, who worked uh, the past six years in the Mavs organization and player development, and ESPN's draft analyst, Jonathan Gavoni. Jonathan, the one thing I want to get get to is – Luca's development in Europe, he was a known commodity for a very long time. What was it about the path he took, the teams he played with, the people he was coached by, the environments that he was in that that helped turn him into uh, what's been a phenomenon so far in the NBA? Yeah, Luca has been on a very different path than most international players that we've evaluated. He had he didn't grow up playing for the Slovenian junior national team in FIBA events. Usually, there's a pathway that international players take. They play under 16 European Championship, under 18 European Championship, maybe under 20 European Championship. Like we saw Denny Avdia, the Israeli who might be top five pick from Maccabi Tel Aviv. He just won MVP of that competition last summer. Luca never played for Slovenia up until the EuroBasket, where he played, you know, with men alongside Goran Dragic and won the the whole thing. So that made him a little bit different. He moved to Real Madrid when he was 12 years old. They paid a buyout for him, which is insane. I mean, that only really happens in soccer. You very rarely see a European basketball team put actual money on the table for a kid who is 12 years old. But to their credit, they knew what they were doing, and he was practicing against men from a very early age. Real Madrid was not afraid to throw him into games when he was 15, 16 years old. Um, you know, he played NBA preseason games. Um, you know, he played against Oklahoma City Thunder um, a year and a half before he was drafted. He actually really struggled in that game. I went back and looked at the box score. When I, was, I remember, you know, seeing R.J. Hampton 
against Oklahoma City. I said, well, what did Luka do against Oklahoma City? And actually, RJ Hampton played better than Luka Doncic did in that game. It's just, it's not easy, you know, when you're that age to play against NBA guys who are 17 years old. It's insane. So, um, I mean, you have to give Real Madrid a ton of credit. They developed him. They believed in him. There's just very few teams in Europe who will throw a 16, 17, 18-year-old out on the court and give him that kind of responsibility. And, you know, they had an injury to Sergio Yule, which really forced them to rely very heavily on Luca that season. And, um, you know, obviously he was good enough. He did it. But there were there were ups and downs. And, um, you know, it, it worked out for them because they, they won everything. They won the Spanish Cup. They won the Spanish Championship. And they won the... The EuroLeague Championship, which is that's just one of the best seasons you could ever have. You know, to to me, what really seen the cement Doncic in terms of maybe his preparedness to come in the NBA and be impactful was the summer before the year before the draft in that EuroBasket run with Slovenia, where they and they, they were knocking off one established power after another. Spain, who else did they go through? France and France, Fournier. Fournier. And what was Latvia really and Porzingis. Porzingis, that's right. And what was really remarkable was here he's playing with Goran Dragic, who's a you know borderline NBA All Star, an outstanding, you know, been a very good NBA player. And when it was winning time in the fourth quarter, you watched Dragic defer to Luca and say, "Okay, it's your ball, go." And and it showed you the respect and how much you know Dragic and that team. Um, Kokoskov, Igor Kokoskov, who was, uh, again, an NBA, longtime NBA assistant and now head, was a head coach, that, wow, they really believe in him. And, and to see them defer to a, he was 18 years old and he was dominant. He was putting up, um, big numbers. They were winning and they win that championship. And, and when you just watched, to me, how Dragic played off of him, it, 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 it said something to how they felt about him and they, they knew his game better than anybody. Yeah, Luca was amazing in the group stage, and he kind of struggled in, uh, in in the elimination rounds. A lot was made of the fact that, you know, he went to the bench at one point. He was under so much pressure, he just burst down in tears, you know, because he, he, he fouled out and he was having a really bad game. And so, you know, that's the kind of situations that you put an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid in, and that's how they develop. I mean, there's no better way to test yourself and to learn about what works and what doesn't and gaining that kind of experience that's invaluable. And that's why, that's why I thought it was so crazy when people were, you know, skeptical about what he's doing. I mean, it's, it's just so much easier to go to a college game and see a 19 year old playing against a 20 year old. That's nothing. You know, I mean, these are low level games. I mean, it's a low level competition when you compare that to the ACB and the EuroLeague, but it's hard when you go to a game and you see him shoot four or 15 from the field and you say, well, this is against, you know, not NBA-level competition. What's going to happen when he gets to the NBA? But there's you have to kind of build in the fact that he's going to improve. He's going to get better. You know, who he is when he's 17, 18 is not who he is when he's going to be 25. And so that's where I think a lot of NBA scouts miss the boat. And, and you know, playing, though, in those high-stakes games against grown men, he came into the league and had zero fear. Absolutely no fear. He'd been in pressure situations. He'd been playing against grown men since, you know, since he was 15, 16 years old. And you saw that very early. Kind of, I think, uh, the, the, the moment or the game when it became crystal clear that not only was Luca going to be a very good player for a long time, but 
this was going to be, you know, a, a potential, I mean, let's be honest, uh, a, a, a potential all-time great was early last year when the Rockets are uh, in Dallas and Luka goes on that personal crunch time 11-0 run where, uh, I mean, he, he, he I want to say it was, it was a corner three. There was a ridiculous step back uh, over Capella. and But the play in that run that was the most like, oh, my goodness, was I remember he's driving against P.J. Tucker, who you talk about grown man. I mean, P.J. Tucker is <laughs> pretty high on that list of NBA players. And he's driving, and he just kind of, you know, stops and muscles muscles Tucker and hits a little floater. It's like, man, this is a 19-year-old kid muscling P.J. Tucker in crunch time of a game and ripping, you know, the. I mean, it's a regular season game early, but basically dominating a game that has James Harden, that has Chris Paul, and just taking it over and loving the moment. I, I, I don't think that happens unless he was tested by those big games for Real Madrid, those big games in Slovenia. And, the, you know, some people, though, thought, okay, well, how much upside is there? Because he is so tested and, and developed coming in the league. And, you know, I think we saw that. Though, and, and, you know, Rick Carlisle mentioned this on draft night, the, the potential for development with him, first and foremost, was physically. And we saw him take that massive leap this summer when he answered questions of, you know, is he going to be kind of a doughboy, or is he going to take that part seriously? And and we've seen the impact of that. Yeah, Tim, I'll go off your point, and Jonathan's as well. Like when you're talking about developing players and young guys, and you know, you, you see it with like Zion when he came comes into the league, when people are questioning his sort of body and and things of that nature. When you're in an NBA strength program, especially a guy that knows what he's doing, like I said, Casey Smith and Jeremy Holsopel's the best guys I've ever worked with in the NBA as far as keeping players healthy and having a plan. When you're when you're a high school kid or a kid, high school age and you don't know any better and you dominate based you know based on whatever your body's like, you don't know any better. And I think when you when you're trying to look at a, a player's long term sort of development, you got to understand he's going to eat sleep, drink basketball for, you know, 24-7 in the NBA. You have strength coaches, you have development coaches, you have people watching film with you, and the only way you're going to get better is to get minutes and and make mistakes. You can work out until you're, you know, blue in the face, and, you know, that's great, but you need minutes, you need to make mistakes, and you got to give a player boundaries, especially ones that's going to be great. If you get a good player or an average player you're trying to develop, you, you put them on a, a small leash. But when you have a player that's going to be this good, and you know it, and you because you know of his passing and his competitive ability. Like I was with Kobe for four years, probably spent more time with him than most. And that competitive spirit, where he had that much sort of confidence in his ability, it, it, you know, I compare that to what Luca did because Luca had more confidence in his ability than anybody. Everyone thought he was going to be good. He was ne- like you said, Tim. He was never afraid of every- anyone. Like he would like want to get James Harden's jersey, but he wanted to bust his ass for forty eight minutes mm-hmm. before he got that. And he's just a kid that needed to figure it out. And I think when you're evaluating these prospects, uh, first of all, if if you know if you're gonna write a kid off by going four for fifteen in one game, you got to understand that most NBA players are gonna get kicked in the teeth. You know, you're gonna get kicked in the teeth in January. You know, when you're at, you know, when you're in Minnesota, it's cold as hell and and, and nothing's going. But you know what you do? You regroup. You talk to the player about it. You watch the film. You correct it, and they're gonna get better. And I think that, look, everyone's going to make mistakes in, this, in the draft process. But again, 
when you I think when you're evaluating, you need that player development background to say, well, how long is it going to take you think to transform the body? How long do you think it's going to take to transform the shot? The you know the pick and roll reads, playing the spacing, playing at this type of pace, and I think it just takes time. And uh, look, if you're going to write off a player based on like nine months of work and saying, look, in nine months we saw you know thirty times where this guy you know didn't have it. But if you're going to write him off on a bad tournament, you know that's why I hate watching the NCAA tournament because a guy could like run through it and get drafted in the top ten and didn't belong there, or a player that's really good that doesn't do it. You know, it, it's just such an unknown thing sometimes. But the development part, you've got to give them time to develop. I think you got to give them at least eighteen months to sort of see it, like two training camps, two summer leagues, two off seasons. And then a half season on top of that, I think you'll, you'll see what you got. But this kid's calendar is way, way before that. Yeah, th- we are going to be talking about Luka Doncic for years to come. He is already in the MVP conversation. Dallas has showed itself to be a, a playoff contender in the Western Conference. Uh, Tim McMahon, Jonathan Gavoni, Mike Procopio. Guys, thanks for jumping in today, man. I, have a great weekend. Appreciate you having us. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guests, ESPN's Tim McMahon, Jonathan Gavoni, and the basketball brand ambassador for BSN Sports, Mike Procopio. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, check out a couple of our other NBA podcasts here at ESPN, The Low Post with Zach Lowe. And Brian Windhurst and the Hoop Collective. We'll catch you next time.